It's been a really cool couple weeks. See that crown? <laughs> How many have been watching these images? It's been a really cool season, a sad season of grief, a unique season of the celebration of life. And I don't know about you, but a very confrontational reminder of monarchy, of royalty. Has anybody had that God encounter watching the news? Like something just prick your heart, like, wow, I forgot in my world called democracy. I forgot. So I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, for one verse of scripture. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Oh, I gotta go on to verse two. And above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Look at your neighbor and say, it's loud in heaven. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of His robe filled the temple. You may be seated. I told you I already prayed. I'm gonna jump right in. Today I'm preaching a message called Kingdom Protocol. And it's so interesting at our school this fall, we, we beefed up our etiquette classes and ballroom dancing. We're having a big cotillion. And the students were at first mad at me. They're secretly excited. I know, especially the boys. But the Lord spoke to me and He said, if you're gonna train children to influence culture, you better train them in the ways of protocol and royalty. I've seen this with my own son. He's been thrown in some places. I had to remind him what silverware to use and what to say. And I had to tell him the old trick, eat dinner before you go. Don't go hungry because you really aren't gonna be able to eat like you wanna eat at that table. Because in our wonderful world of democracy, sometimes we lose sight of the protocol of royalty. But I'm here to tell you, you are still a part of a kingdom. And that kingdom membership usurps your national allegiance to a democratic, a democratic government. And as I have been watching all of the protocol of Scotland and England, you know, maybe you didn't get excited, but there was this part of my heart that was just like, wow, that is so awesome to be full of such rich tradition and protocol and culture and to see the level of honor for one life. And then a part of my heart was saddened as I realized how little we give such honor and glory to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How often we depend on pulling Him down to our level instead of allowing us to pull us up to His. 
But I'm here to tell you today is a lesson on kingdom protocol. We're gonna go to the classroom today. It's gonna be interactive. We're gonna end all participating, but I gotta teach a little bit. Because Jesus came down to our level once and one time only. He already took on the form of a servant. He already came as a, the poverty-stricken son of a carpenter. He was already born in a, cam, in a stable filled with camels and animals. He already was touched by the feeling of our infirmities. He already was your homeboy who walked on this earth and ate with us and sat with us. But it is not so today in heaven. And when we want to approach him, it is not us who is to pull on him to come back down and be the little poor shepherd boy and the little poor son of a carpenter born in a manger in our nativity scene. He is now seated at the right hand of the father. He is now seated in royalty. His hair is white as wool. His eyes are full of fire. His feet are like brass. He is worshiped day and night, night and day. Those who harmed him will never get in with proximity to hurt him again. He is high and lifted up and glorified. And unfortunately, we still approach him as the carpenter's son. But it's not so in the throne room of God. And Isaiah got a revelation of what it really looks like. So as we see this transition of earthly monarchs and Queen Elizabeth, I believe there's a prophetic layer here that just like in the year King Uzziah died, God showed his royalty to his people again. I believe in the year that Queen Elizabeth dies, the Lord wants to reveal his royalty in a new way to his people. And I just want to prophesy we are about to see the revelation of monarchy, royalty, kingship, lordship, and revelations of the kingdom in a light we have never seen before because it's prophetic alignment. And when you're dealing with royalty, there is an elevated protocol that is required. We have seen this day after day as they have handled the remains of the wonderful icon, Queen Elizabeth. And unfortunately in the church, we've let our cultural limbs contaminate our kingdom understanding, especially as we approach God in worship. So let's just have a little lesson for a second on a monarchy versus a dictatorship versus a democracy. Are you ready for a short history lesson? It's really important. A dictatorship is the ruling of one, but by forceful takeover. A dictator is someone who takes over with no blood rights, no rights of inheritance, sometimes not even the qualifications needed, mostly just a strong arm and military force. And a dictator will rule as a fake or a counterfeit form of monarchy, trying to operate in authority with no legitimate claim to their role. This is Lucifer. He is our dictator in the kingdom story. He is trying to operate in an authority he has no bloodline for, no inheritance for, no legacy that has set him up. He is illegitimate and has only tried to overtake the kingdoms of this earth by illegitimate force. That is the counterfeit monarchy. And then we have a monarchy, which is still a one ruler government, not a cabinet, not a House of Representatives, not a Senate, not a Congress, 
a one throne government that is inherited not by election, not by forceful takeover, but by the blood. Monarchy is determined by blood. Monarchy is determined by bloodline. Thrones are saved for connection through family, inheritance, and blood. And this is where we find the kingdom of God resides. God is not elected in, so he cannot be elected out. He is not voted in on a popular vote. Therefore, no matter how much society attempts to reject him, his throne is never compromised. He did not get there by forceful takeover. Jesus was born the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because it's all about his blood. And I'm here to tell you, your position in the kingdom will not be by your gifts. It will not be by your celebrity status. It will not be by your popularity. And you surely don't even have the an ounce of power and authority to usurp your role in this kingdom. It only comes by your connection to the blood. When we are washed in the blood of Jesus, so much happens in that transaction. We need a whole series on the blood. Yes, we are cleansed. We are healed, we are regenerated, but you are adopted in. And that's not just like Genesis and Asher being adopted into my house, such a beautiful picture. They got a new name, they, they got a new family, but it would be as if Genesis and Asher were adopted by Queen Elizabeth herself. You were not just adopted into any family like the Wallace family, you have been adopted into a royal family and that changes everything everything about your legacy and your inheritance. This is what happens by the blood. And this is what's crazy. No dictator can usurp blood. And no matter what dirt the enemy has on you, no matter what accusations he brings towards you, no matter what demonic force he tries to do to challenge your legitimate role in the kingdom, how many are thankful that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word on your behalf and it declares your royal position in this thing called the kingdom of God. And you are a son and daughter of a king, not just any king, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In fact, there's protocol when monarchy meets monarchy. And one will always bow to the other. And I'm here to tell you, you're not just in, in any kingdom. You are family with the King of all kingdoms. And unfortunately, our democratic lens has affected how we look at our kingdom position. It's created an internal, eternal insecurity for kingdom leaders that if we're not pleasing people and if we're not operating by celebrity status and if we're not making people happy, that's how, for some way, in some way or for some reason, our kingdom legitimacy is compromised. But I'm here to tell you in a true kingdom, there is one person you're trying to please, one person you're trying to gain their favor, and it's the only person that matters, and it's the person sitting on the throne. And I came to tell you in democracy, it's all about the will of the people. But in the kingdom, it's all about the will of the king. It's all about the will of the master. And I just came to break a spirit of democracy off of this church. I thank God for the democracy of the United States. For y'all get nervous. 
Democracy is a great earthly solution for corrupt monarchy. And that is where demonic, d democracy was birthed. Demos meaning people, kratos means power, power of the people. Because earthly monarchy can be corrupt. And God provided this incredible solution of democracy as a response to what was happening with corrupt monarchy. But I'm here to tell you, we cannot take that lens and put it on the kingdom of God and decide that we can wake up every day and decide if God is good and decide if God is worthy to be on the throne and decide if God is corrupt. Because I'm here to tell you, there is no democracy in heaven. There is no democracy in the spirit realm. There is no democracy in the kingdom realm. That's a solution in an earthly realm. He is still the king of kings and he is still the lord of lords and he loves you but your will was meant to be swallowed up by his in america our leaders have to cater to the will of the people for a check and a balance of powers which is needed with earthly leadership because there is no human being that can manage power like god can no human being can manage power and stay good like God is. But I'm here to tell you in a monarchy and in the kingdom of God, your will is meant to be swallowed up by the will of the king. And we find ourselves in a cultural conflict because in the natural realm, we are trained to operate according to democracy. And then we bring that into our relationship with God. And we actually think he needs our advice to rule and reign. We actually think that over time his words and his edicts can become culturally irrelevant. We actually think that his word needs edited and changed because just maybe the will of the people should mold over time the will of the king. And it is not so. There is no promotion by election, only by bloodline and favor. Only one will matters. And let me tell you something about a kingdom versus a democracy. A king and a royal ruler is meant to be an icon, not a celebrity. You'll not find the royal family, if they're following protocol, take selfies. Sorry, America. You'll not find them taking selfies. You'll not find them signing signatures in public. If they do it, it's behind closed doors because it's actually degrading to them to present their role as a result of popularity or celebrity. They are meant to be an icon that will endure several uh, generations of style and celebrities and fads. They are not meant to come and go with the fads of culture. They are meant to be in timeless endurance throughout their lifetime. Look at all the fads precious Queen Elizabeth has outlived. And in the church, we have capitalized on celebrity ship. We have capitalized on our selfies and our signatures and our popularity, and we have traded our legacy because we have lowered our standards. But monarchy is about timelessness. It's about legacy, and it's not about a fading fad. Are you still with me this morning? I should be careful when I preach on Sundays. This elevated protocol is seen when King Uzziah dies. And I don't have time to paint the whole picture, but King Uzziah, there's so much meat here and I actually am not preaching this text. It's just my foundation. King Uzziah was king when he was 16. And the word of God tells us, Chad can flash it up if he want to. Second Chronicles, Chronicles 26 verses three through five. 
It actually tells us that Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, mentored him from a 16-year-old boy and taught him, it says, the ways and the will of the Lord. In other words, we see in this kingdom picture a marriage of prophetic and kingdom ruling. We see a marriage of church and government, just like your pastor has been teaching. We see that there was an earthly king who yielded his heart to heavenly rule. And we see an active marriage between prophetic influence, prophetic intercession, prophetic declaration, and the rule of a king. And Israel prospered under the reign of King Uzziah. He had to invent weapons just to increase his military strength because they were so prosperous. But then something happened. Zechariah dies. Prophetic influence leaves his life. The church exits government. And it begins the demise of King Uzziah. His strength did not fade, but his pride was elevated. And if I could tell the story, King Uzziah, and you can find it in 2 Chronicles, the rest of the story in the verse 26, it tells how he became so powerful. He, was, he flourished until he became powerful, is what the word says. And he actually went into the temple and broke heavenly protocol. Hear the word of the Lord. The king, the most prosperous king of Judah, walks into the temple and the king is still bound by a higher protocol. The king who had absolute monarchy and reign in the kingdom of Judah, whose will could not be challenged, who could do whatever he wanted, however he wanted, whenever he wanted, his protocol had to bow to kingdom protocol when he entered in the temple. Because I'm here to tell you, there's no amount of worldly fame, authority, power, wealth, riches, crowns, or robes that will ever usurp heavenly protocol. And Uzziah got so powerful, he thought he was exempt from the rules of the kingdom. And he went in and he tried to burn incense on the altar like the high priest. And they stood up against him and he was angry. And the Lord struck him immediately on the forehead where his crown would have set with leprosy. And we see the demise of earthly kingdoms with the departure of the church from government. This will be the message you hear so much because we're in a for such a time as this moment. It's like an Esther moment. And the ladies have heard me say this so much, but Esther, that whole process we preach about Esther becoming queen and we make the whole book about that, that was nothing more than getting her to a platform to do what God had called her to do. And Esther was like the church is today. She thought she had arrived because she lived out her testimony. She thought God just put her in the kingdom to be comfortable, to enjoy wealth and ease. But really, he raised her up to influence for the people around her. And when um, Mordecai asked her to break protocol for kingdom protocol and go before the king, she literally thought it was an optional choice. She said, oh, I don't know about that, Mordecai. You do know that if I do that, I might die. And Mordecai declared the prophetic word, I will declare to the church until I'm blue in the face. If you don't, you're going to die anyway. Silence is not optional. 
national silence of the church is certain death for God's people. Silence of the church in government realms is certain death for God's people. Oh, it may kill your reputation. It may kill your following, but you may save your children if you would rise up in your kingdom anointing because you represent the only legitimate kingdom this earth has ever known. Whoever told the church the lie that church and government should be separate has not read the same Bible I have read. Prove it here. Because I will prove to you time and time again where God has always been involved in the governments of men. And he has always used the anointing of prophets and priests to influence what happens. And that you carry the Holy Spirit, which is the anointing to rule and reign. And when Esther realized she had bought a lie, she said, if I perish, I perish. But she did not perish. She saved future generations. And this is what we see in, in Uzziah. His demise began when the church exited. He broke pot- protocol and he died. And in the year he died, it was a year that represented defeat for God's people. It represented an unstable transition. Yet God revealed himself to Isaiah in all his glory. God was seated, meaning he was not stressed. He had not moved in worry. He was seated in his position. It had not been challenged. The kingdom of God was stable and continues to be stable even when the kingdoms of this earth are shaking. He was high and lifted up, which means ascension was required to reach him. He had not lowered his position to the level of men, nothing that had happened had brought him down from his high position. And his train filled the temple. And most of you know this, but I just have to say it because it's so good to declare. It represented his victory. Because you know, if you've been in this passage ever, you've been taught that when a king would defeat another king or another kingdom, they would cut off a piece of that king's robe and attach it to theirs. And the length of a king's robe, and Solomon's was long, the length of a king's robe would determine how strong they were against their enemies. And God was showing Isaiah that there was no enemy that could stand before him. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know why the church still wrestles with fear. Maybe we need to have a revelation of Jesus high and lifted up with his train filling the temple. He has never lost a battle. He has never lost to any enemy. He is 100% in all situations victorious. The enemy is defeated. He don't have a throne. He don't have a robe. He don't even have a crown, yet he terrorizes God's people and intimidates us from sitting in our kingdom seat. And when Isaiah saw this vision, God was seated on his throne. And you know, one of the rules of monarchy, even with Queen Elizabeth, was you can't sit if the queen doesn't sit. And if she stands, you stand. And there's so much revelation here, but that's why it's important. It's why the word of God says Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. It meant his work was done and that yours is too. 
You are ruling from a seated position. We have been seated with him in heavenly places. That means you're not battling out of a, I don't know if I'm victorious. You are ruling as any ruler who is seated and all they do is speak out of their mouth and the attendants follow through with what is spoken. You are seated. It's so important while Jesus stood while Stephen was being martyred. Jesus doesn't stand when you get a blue check mark on your social media. Jesus doesn't stand when you preach a good sermon. But Jesus stood when the first martyr gave their life for the message of the gospel. If we want to know what this kingdom honors, if I perish, I perish. His throne room was beautiful. Protocol was real and we need a revelation of his royalty. So why am I setting this foundation? I had one thing God spoke to me for this service today and we're gonna do it. This is what I heard the spirit of the Lord say. As I was watching all of this protocol, watching all of the display of honor and royalty and preparing for the day, the Lord said to me, a deceased earthly monarch should not receive more glory and honor on Monday than the living King of Kings and the Lord of Lords receives on Sunday. I'm gonna read it again, it's okay. Because we're gonna see a lot tomorrow as the funeral happens, it's beautiful and it's, it should happen. The honor of men will never diminish the honor of God. But I want to read again, a deceased earthly monarch should not receive more glory and honor on Monday than the living King of Kings and Lord of Lords receives on Sunday. There's a problem if I turn on my television and I see a deceased carnal earthly leader receiving more accolades, more glory and more honor than what comes out of my mouth or my house on a daily basis for a king who isn't alive the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and seated on the throne. And as I began to watch what happened with Queen Elizabeth, conviction fell on my heart that I have diminished the royalty of my Abba Father. And I have maybe traded that reverence for what is common and convenient. And I'm here to tell you, you won't get within 500 feet of the Queen of England, common or irreverent. And I came to break a lie over the church. You won't get within 500 feet of his throne with a mentality of commonness or irreverence. You may bask in the glow of his radiance outside the gate, you may experience the overflow of his goodness while you sit back and eat your popcorn and flip through the channels, finding your favorite preacher. But you will never get within his royal circle as long as it's commonplace to you. Every monarch has a radius. This is so cool. The, the monarchs of England have this radius. It's like a 10-foot radius and it circles them. And if you get within that radius, your head has to go below theirs, has to bow. 
There's a separate protocol within the radius than there is without the radius. In other words, it's, it's all layers. Even, even going to Buckingham Palace, depending on where you're located, it depends on what's required of you. And the closer you go, the higher the requirements. But if you get within that radius, your head bows. And so we saw this phenomenon. I don't know how many saw it. They've been keeping vigil over the queen, which is crazy in itself. All of it, all of it. It's just, there's so much revelation. My brain is exploding. And the poor palace guard, he passed out because he didn't move. And his head was bowed and it restricted blood flow after that long. And you know what? He would have died for protocol. He would have died before he got within the radius and did not follow protocol for a ruler who is but flesh and blood. And America needs to take a lesson on honor, especially an American church who can't last five minutes through a song that's not their favorite. Especially an American church who would rather fish on Sundays than get up and get to the house of the Lord and find his radius. We have lost our honor and the privilege of his presence. And it's common. And we have become irreverent. We don't want to call it that. But your common approach to him is called irreverence. So by Jesus, why you always make me preach these things? You should watch that video and take a lesson. And think the next time you complain because we have three-hour services. If there are three-hour services outside the outer court, I'd complain too. But if you hit the radius, I'd pass out trying to worship him. If you hit the radius, it's worth it all. So let's look at the radius of his throne room, shall we? Because there's a circle around him. He's the one who started the radius, and it's a rainbow. <laughs> the brilliant rainbows you see in the sky, they come from the circle of his throne. And within that circle, there are the fiery ones, the seraphim I just read about. And they even ride under his throne. His throne travels. It moves on wheels of fire. And as it moves, everyone within the circle moves because no one turns their back on his glory. There are 24 elders with thrones who sit around him. There are the living creatures and the creatures who have eyes front, back, side to side so that they don't have a back to his glory and they can capture his radiance. You want to go in the circle? You better look who's in it. And you better look at what they're doing because they're not texting. They're not talking to their friends. There's only about three different things happening in that circle. They are either face down. They are either prostrate. They are either worshiping so loud it shakes the pillars of the temple. Or they are taking their crowns, which represents all they have and all they are. And they are tossing it at his feet as an offering. What happens in the circle of his radius? Surrender. Giving. Worship of all. And you want to act like you crawled up in God's lap and had a conversation last night. But you don't want to have reverence for who he is. 
renewed protocol. Even the queen would agree that he deserves it all. You know, I'm not here to debate the morality of leadership. I don't even know why we do it in the United States. When have we ever had a moral president, literally? <laughs> Screaming morality over some things never really happened. But the queen, she was interviewed. Some of you might have seen this by a chaplain, a royal chaplain. And he was teaching on the return of the Lord. And she exclaimed, oh, how I wish the, the Lord would come in my lifetime. And the chaplain said, why, your majesty, do you have this earnest desire? And with quivering lips of emotion, she responded, I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. She said, he is the king that I serve. You know, this may not be the morning for this, but I have been just trying to imagine when I read that and I read what Queen Elizabeth said, I like had this imaginary moment where I was like, what would that look like? Her, her crown is amazing. It's dazzled with all these jewels. I don't remember how many millions of dollars it's worth. What would that look like to watch a queen who the world has bowed before? get on her knees and throw her royalty at the feet of Jesus. But that is what we will see. Do you realize what a sight to behold when the word of God says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Every emperor, every king, every ruler, every president, every president America has ever had, every celebrity, every icon, there will be a day that all of their fame is thrown at his feet and they will bow. And we don't think that he deserves our best worship every time we come into his presence. What are you waiting on church till then? Do you wanna bow with Hitler? What are you waiting on? Do you wanna bow with rulers who shook their fist at him? Do you wanna be made to bow? Or do you wanna start the party now? Do you wanna start the party now as the bride who bows and throws all they have at his feet because he is worthy? We have Americanized worship. We worship democratic style. It's the will of the people. How do we make our worship set? What do the people like? What will make them happy? What will make them cry? What fits the mood of the day? How do we determine our worship before the Lord? Well, I had a bad morning. Well, I had a bad week. Well, I didn't get good sleep last night. Wake up call, I slept two hours last night with two babies. We have made our worship democratic and it's about the will of the people, not the will of the king. And we give God what is convenient, what is common and what is easy. And we wonder why we're not in his radius. We wonder why his glory is not filling the temple because we are offering him profane and irreverent worship. We're offering him worship that actually doesn't fit the category of worship at all. It's self-idolatry. It makes us feel better, but it doesn't do anything to draw his presence. The protocol of 
of approaching him is not a common encounter. It's more of a democratic, I mean, it's more of, it is more of a, I gotta, it's gotta read this word, it's more of a diplomatic situation. The definition of protocol is not meant for common encounters, but for diplomatic ones. The next time you think about approaching him, you don't need to think, how would I sit with my buddy at a ball game and hang out? You need to think if the White House called me to come and meet diplomats from all over the world, or if I got invited to a gala for the president, how would I prepare myself? And the level of preparation for meeting Kim Kardashian would be completely different than the level of preparation for Queen Elizabeth. And when you come into this house, you're not throwing up some spiritual affirmation for your buddy God. You have been given an invitation to walk into a royal place. And although it's not outward preparation, it's inward preparation. And I dare say you spend twice as much time preparing your outer vessel to come into this house than you do your inner vessel. And we wouldn't dare produce approach a common earthly monarch the way we approach God. So I'm going to do the protocol of approaching him. We're almost done. Can you handle any more? Good. You're going to have too many ways. Number one, it's a privilege. When we look at Old Testament worship, what we don't realize is the priests had to take turns. They had to cast lots. There were so many of them. It was on average a priest might, a Levite might serve in the temple in any duty twice. Maybe a high priest got to serve once in their lifetime. And sometimes commonality of access has made us lose reverence for the opportunity. We saw this during COVID, right? When we couldn't go to church, then we wanted to. Some of us were like, when the church doors open, I will never miss again to like about a month ago, right? It faded quickly. So you go to the church in China, the underground church, or somewhere where it's not so accessible, it is more highly honored. And sometimes the privilege of our freedom has watered down our reverence for the opportunity. But a priest never approached the temple irreverently because it was sometimes a once in a life opportunity. It was a rare opportunity and Jesus shed his blood to give you daily access yet we treat it like it's going to Walmart or going to the grocery store and we have lost our reverence because of the gift of accessibility. So tell your neighbor, remember it's a privilege. It requires a garment change. The priests changed their clothes. Esther had to change her clothes before she went to the king. If you look at all the the pomp and circumstance of what's happening, they're in specific garments. They're in royal garments because the changing of garments was shifting from something that was everyday and common to something that was uncommon and, and worthy of reverence. You cannot dress your inner man the same way you would for any common encounter when you're addressing the Lord. And we see this in the priest. They, they wore these 
ornate garments. I'm not going through from a tunic to a turban to a sash to a robe to breeches. They wore this ornate garment they had to cleanse. It had to be perfectly ironed. It had no wrinkles, no spots. They went to great extent for their outer appearance as a sign of honor. Now this in America is a whole different story. Jesus, if I could just preach on clothing, because it was the first hard lesson I had to learn in international travel. America's one of the only nations that your clothing, you can dress how you want, when you want, and people don't lose respect for you. But you can go to other countries, including third world countries, and your honor and dignity is based on your outer garments. So you wanna wear your ripped jeans and your t-shirts to a third world country, they're gonna look at you like you're poverty. I'm making people mad. In America, we've determined we don't have to take care of our outer man to enjoy respect. And listen, I love my joggers and my t-shirt. I'm not here to preach religion. I'm here to tell you clothing matters. Outer garments matter. And you try to imagine seeing Queen Elizabeth in joggers and a t-shirt. It ain't so. She was always ordained in radiance to display the inner power and authority she carried. And the priests had to change clothes. I'm making people mad in this place. We want God to come and look like us, but he wants us to change clothes and look like him. We want God to come down and look like us, but he wants us to change clothes and look like him. We are meant to be a reflection of his royalty. And they did not wear shoes. Oh yeah, we may take our shoes off today. I don't know what will happen. But the priests did not wear shoes. And we see this protocol exemplified in Joshua 5 and 15 when Joshua encountered the Lord on his way to Jericho and he said, Joshua, take your shoes off. We see this in Exodus 3 and 5 when Moses saw the burning bush and God said, take your shoes off, Moses. You're on holy ground because the priest could not wear shoes. It was a sign of commonality. It was a sign of carnality. The removal of shoes was a surrender of position. It was a surrender. Of, it was a sign of yieldedness and submission. And it was a sign you had moved to something that was holy and clean lean and shoes were not needed. They removed their shoes as a sign that they were stepping into a holy place. And I'm here to tell you in the spirit with foot washing and what happened at the golden laver I'm going into in a moment, there's a removal of the shoes of carnality and commonality in the church and a renewal of submission and purity. I pray that the Lord moves in such a way in our midst, it's a burning bush moment. Whether it happens in the natural and the spirit, we hear the Lord whisper and say, you know what, the shoes aren't needed anymore. Those garments aren't appropriate anymore. Speaking of the heart, not the outward man, because you've crossed from a common place to a holy place. So, what I want to do in this place today is just give opportunity to give him glory. All that was just teaching for something that I feel like needs to happen in this house today. And you can pack your stuff and go if you need to because today is a participation day. Because when the Lord speaks to me, I take it seriously. 
And this is an opportunity for shift in this house. I believe the Lord wants his kingdom to be made known right here. And I believe he's giving us an opportunity to step into kingdom protocol in this place. And I believe he wants our worship and our communion with him to go to another level. He wants us to divorce ourselves from a mentality of democratic worship. He wants to sep- us to separate ourselves from a mentality of common encounter with an uncommon and holy God. And I believe there's a shift that's supposed to happen in this atmosphere today that will change how we operate as a church. I believe what the Lord said to me is true. That a, a deceased, wonderful, but earthly monarch should not receive more glory and honor on a Monday than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords does on a Sunday. And I believe the Lord is transforming how we see him and how we see him will transform how we respond to him and we worship him. And so I just wanna go through kingdom protocol and actually give us the opportunity to participate like corporately. And if I could have set up a tabernacle in this place from last night till this morning, I would have. Oh, come on, praise team. I see you moving, Paris, going up here. Today, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is here. And I want us to have an opportunity to praise him like he deserves. I want us to have an opportunity to enter into his presence as he deserves. And it feels slightly awkward, but it's because we're not used to it. But I pray that this culture shifts in such a way we're not used to, we're used, not used to it not being that way. Like it feels awkward when it's not that way. And I wanna talk about something that Jesus came to fulfill, not abolish. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. That's the word God says. He came to fulfill protocol, not abandon it. Is there still protocol with approaching him, Pastor Devin? Yes, there is. Do you have access now? Yes. The difference is you and I would not have even had this opportunity. Please remember, we're not even Jewish, most of us. We're not Levites. You weren't born the high priest. And the opportunity you already had today, you really had no right to have. The opportunity that some of you squandered and yawned at, some people would have given their life for. Do you recognize that we have been given access to something that is quite scandalous we have access to because of the blood of Jesus? But that access does not demean his royalty or his worthiness or the protocol required to reach him. It is just access for you to actually be holy enough to participate. Because in your righteousness, you ain't gonna get past the gates. But clothed in his righteousness, changing our garments from our common garments to his spotless worthy garments, it's like a pass all the way to the radius of his throne. The word says we can boldly approach his throne now. Do you realize I don't have access to Queen Elizabeth's throne or her funeral or anything like that. I am a nobody 
to the monarchy of England. But that's okay, because I have access to the throne room of her boss. I have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it doesn't matter who knows me on earth. Heaven knows my name. Heaven knows your name. He has engraved your name upon Himself. And I don't want us to ever be given an opportunity, whether in church, whether in our prayer closet, whether in a prayer meeting on Tuesday, whether in a Bible study or a small group. Don't ever take the opportunity to approach Him lightly again. Don't ever make unholy and common what is holy and deserving of reverence. You want to know why I praise Him like a crazy person? Because without Him, I would not have access to the wealth of the kingdom. And He is worthy. Stand up all over this place, please. So protocol. We're going to walk through it like a living object lesson. Awkward as it may, this is the good news. I preach like twice a year. But you'll never forget it. I'm a teacher at heart, and we learn best when we hear and we do. And that's what we're about to do. So I'm not just going to give you a boring dissertation of protocol. Can we go together? Now, some of you can go through the motions, and you're going to still learn. And I'll take that today, because we're in a progression from glory to glory in this house. But I invite some of you to actually participate in your heart. This is second opportunity of our service to follow protocol in entering His presence. And I actually believe we might make it to the radius. Some of you are gonna make it to lunch on time, but some of us are gonna make it to the radius today. Because I have not been denied access or opportunity, which means the approach is up to me. Why are you not in the throne room or walking in His glory? Maybe because you've not pursued it. Because access has been granted and opportunity has been given. The throne room is operating right now. He is seated right now in the heavenlies. The angels have not stopped crying. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's a swirl around His throne. It's up to us if we jump in. And every day of the week, we're at work, we're at school, but on this day, we cancel it all for the opportunity to come together and join heaven and the throne room. You don't come to church to be seen. You don't come to church to fulfill religious obligation. It's the time we mark to accept our invitation and worship Him. That's what it should be. So number one, the gates of praise. Guess what, that's first. In most services, that's last because we have to really work ourselves up before we're free enough to do it. But do you know you don't even make it into the outer courts if you don't have a praise? And do you know you can be a foreigner? You could be a prostitute. You don't even have to be part of the royal family to praise. Can I just break a religious lie off someone? The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So if you come in this house and you withhold your breath till you repent, you're already out of order. 
Rocks praise Him. Trees praise Him. Birds praise Him. You are commanded if there is breath in your body to give the King praise. It's not an option. It's entry. It's entry. So, since it's about the will of the King and not the will of the people, perhaps we should look at His will for our praise. Because we're all about offering what's easy and comfortable, but that's not how you approach royalty. So there are seven words I'll run through in three minutes. Father, how do you want us to praise you? Oh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, what is an offering of praise that is acceptable at the gates? What is an offering of thanksgiving? And he said, I'm so glad you asked. I like Hallel praise which is found in one, Psalms 150 and one and many other Psalms, but this one literally says to give him this type of praise in the sanctuary. Chad, you can throw up Psalms 150 and one. Hallel praise, it means to spin in a circle, to be clamorously foolish, to be undignified before him in your dancing. David was a Hallel praiser. Some of you are like, I've never Hallel praised in my life. Well, welcome to the outer courts. Let's just get you on in the gates. Some of you Hallel praise for your football team on Saturdays. You just don't call it that. Some of you Hallel praise at the stadium. You just don't call it that. You act like a clamorous fool. You are loud and obnoxious for a sports team. And God said, why can't you be that way for me? I kind of like it. Hallel praise. Number two, yada. It means to extend the hands. Let's all just practice. Now there are two about the hands. This one's what's really important. It means to extend the hands in worship. This is just like, you're awesome God. And this is what's crazy. This Hebrew word, the opposite word, you can put them down. The opposite word is to wring your hands. You know what that is? Worry. This is the opposite of yada, worry. But the opposite of worry is trust confidence. God's got it. He's worthy. Nothing the enemy can do can touch me. He is victorious. Some of you are going to get delivered of this when you do this. At the gates, worry's going to get left. Tada is the raising of hands in thanksgiving specifically for what's not happened yet. <laughs> Where yada may be a praise for what's behind you. Tada is a faith praise for what's not even happened yet. God, I'm gonna raise my hands for what you're gonna do before I even get in the gates today. Woo! That's Tada. You know what, let's just do this. Can I have some worship team members to come out here and demonstrate these? We're gonna demonstrate them. We're gonna be real worship leaders today. Come on, all seven. Can we just do them together? I didn't plan this. Let's just go ahead and go through the gates. I want us to Hallel praise. Can you just Hallel praise? If you don't feel comfortable spinning, you can just be loud. You can just dance. Can we just Hallel praise all over this place? He's worthy. Go ahead, worship team. Tada! 
for what's coming! Woo! For what's coming, what we've not even seen yet, Abba, we give you praise! Oh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, are you ready? Shabak is to shout with the loud voice of triumph. Shabak at the gates! church could actually be what we say. Just kneel. Just bow your head. Remember, our head should never be above His. Oh, God, we give You praise by bowing. We salute You. We bow. We curtsy before You. (laughs) We greet You at the gates. And we bow. We bow. So that's not too painful. You can stand in Zamar is to pluck the strings of an instrument or to sing with joy. So I'm gonna let them just go crazy on those instruments. But you are an instrument. You are actually a shofar, you're a song. You can sing as an instrument, but this is the only rule of Zamar. It has to be with joy. No lamenting, no sad love songs, no brokenheartedness. Let a song of joy, let some praises of joy come on those strings. Zamar, Zamar, Zamar. Oh God, you're worthy in this the same kind of word keeps singing it's to sing unto the Lord and this is the type of praise his throne sits on he is enthroned upon our Tehillah sing him a song so he can sit in here hey 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 now pick any of the seven you want and go ahead and give him he gives you seven choices just give him praise Give him any of the praises. Hallel, Tehillah, Zamar, Shabbat, Barak. Give him praise. Zamar, give him praise. Hallel, Yada, Tada, Shabbat, Barak, Zamar, Tehillah. Fill the atmosphere with Hallel, Yada, Tada, Shabbat, Barak, Zamar, Tehillah. Here we come, Father. We're coming through the gates to your presence. We're coming through the gates. To your presence. Take two minutes and give it praise all over this place. Just play instrumentalist. We won't even sing. Just give us that song. We give you praise. Hey! Hey, don't stop now. We're just breaking through the atmosphere. Let praise break out all over this place. Hold 
on the instruments, but they're not gonna lead. Do you hear the shift that happens? Y'all go into church mode. This ain't church mode. There's no worship team up here to lead you. It's one throne, one circle. He's in the middle. Now pick one of the seven. Quit looking at them and give him praise. Tana, Zamar, Tehila, Shabak, Barak, Halal. Give him praise, give him praise, give him praise. Once you pass through praise, now we deal with sin. (laughs) See, religion says you gotta get perfect before you praise, it ain't biblical. You gotta come on in the gates, the closer you get, the more you're gonna wanna be holy like him. Outside the gates, you'll never get a revelation of living right or holiness, you'll just live in religion. But he's saying, come on closer. And it's gonna require confession and cleansing. And this is where you have the bronze altar and the golden laver. You could do a whole sermon on them. I want it's just sacrifice and confession. John 4 and 24 says, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that word truth is unhiddenness. You will never get past praise if you're going to try to fake God out. The first thing he's gonna say is lay it all out on the altar. And that doesn't disqualify you from moving forward. See, most of you hide it because religion has taught you that all the the, the dirt and the mess in your life will keep you out, but it's actually the next step to going in. (laughs) Because where there's a lot of sin, there's a lot of grace. Isn't that what the Word says? There's a lot of mercy. You think your mess keeps you out. It just requires more blood. And at that brazen altar and that golden laver, he can take care of any mess you bring to him. What he cannot do is anoint you on top of your mess. So after you praise him, it's time to get real. Look at your neighbor and say, get real and get clean. Not by yourself, but by Jesus. And so they would go to that brazen altar they would sacrifice. There were four horns on that altar because the sacrifice had to be tied up. And that's a whole other thing about those who are wiggling on the altar. It's just about unsurrendered yieldedness. It's about going to the golden laver where there are mirrors and realizing you need to look hard in that mirror and anything in you that does not reflect him, you need to let him wash it away. You are meant to look like him, remember? Royalty looks like royalty. He's trying to bring you out of the outer court into a place of radiance. And so that golden laver, they would wash their hands and wash their feet. This is why they could not wear shoes. 
they would wash their hands and wash their feet, creating me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit in with me. He that has clean hands and a pure heart will approach the Lord. And we just simply ask Him to cleanse. And we look in that mirror hard and we say, Lord, anything that I see in that reflection that doesn't look like you, take it under the water, wash it away. And there's this cleansing that happens before we go into worship. So I'm serious, go when you need to go. There's no church tonight, I'll take that time too. Two minutes, two minutes to change your life. Just go there, go to the brazen altar. Go to the golden laver, standing right at you where you are and say, Father, I need to confess this before you. Father, I, here's my heart. I lay it bare. I've praised you as a sacrifice. I've come through the gates, but the closer I get to you, the more I'm like Isaiah. I realize, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man. I'm a woman of unclean lips. The more I see you, the more I realize I've got work to do. But that's okay. I'm not gonna let religion run me back out of the gates. I'm coming for you. So I ask for the sacrifice of Jesus to be applied to that brazen altar. Cleanse me, oh God, create a right spirit in me. Father, I come to the laver. I wash my hands, I wash my feet. Lord, anything that is in me that doesn't look like you, doesn't sound like you, doesn't talk like you, doesn't live like you, wash it away. Wash it away by the water of your word. Wash it away by the water of your spirit. Take two minutes and just pray those prayers. The church needs to get back to being a place where we can confess. We can confess our faults one to another that we may be healed. We can confess them to the Lord. Father, I declare this is a house of truth. We don't have to live fake. We don't have to live veiled. We don't have to hide from you, but we, we come to you in unhiddenness and we ask the blood of Jesus to cleanse us and wash us. And once you pass through that cleansing process with the the brazen altar and the laver, then we move into worship. See, our problem is we're in worship before we ever follow protocol. And we wonder why it feels like the heavens are brass. Now we're ready for worship. Now that we've praised, now that we've confessed, now that we've cleansed, now we're ready to begin what we call worship in the church. And that worship is displayed in three articles. Number one, it's displayed in the table of showbread. This was the table where bread was put on the, the table as an offering to the Lord and it stayed hot supernaturally for 24 hours. It was just a sign and a wonder in the temple. The bread stayed hot 24 hours without an oven, without a heat lamp. It was a fresh gift. And I have always taken communion at the table of showbread when I've done this, but the Lord, He wrecked me because I did some research and it was actually bread made by the priests for the Lord. It was a gift to declare that God was provider. 
that He was the bread from heaven. It goes back to Jesus breaking the bread to feed the 5,000, the, the, the provider, the source. Here's offering time at church, people. It's the table of showbread. It's where we take our little loaf of bread and we offer it to Him to say, Father, You are my source. You are my bread and I'm gonna do it every day. And my giving is going to remain hot and fresh because you are my continual provider. And all that I have, I give before you. It's like a pre-show of the casting of crowns. It's the giving of our sustenance. So, you know, we've already given offering, but if you didn't give, you can come throw it on the altar. You can give again, or you just give of yourself. But that's the worship of giving the table of showbread and then the altar I mean the golden lampstand is the fire of God this is the menorah there's so much to it it was the only light in the tabernacle but it was fueled by oil and it would burn day and night night and day the light could never go out and this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and the tending of our own flame it is every day tending the fire of God of our life. And as we worship, asking Him to set us ablaze as the light of God in this world. And then the altar of incense and the incense is the prayer before the Lord because worship is prayer and prayer is worship. It's communion with God. These are not prayers of God, forgive me for what I did last night. We did that at the brazen altar. This is actual communion with God, intercession with God, conversation with Him where we bring Him into the know of our needs and we declare Him to be the one who can act. We intercede over His heart. We declare what's important to Him. And the Word says that that incense is the prayers of the saints. So when we sing worship songs, those worship songs are important, but all this should be taking place. Prayer, the fire of God, stirring up that oil and that flame, the giving of ourselves, the giving of our resources. So right now with every hand lifted, because that's our international sign of worship, can you just start moving past those three articles in your own heart? Can you visit the table of showbread and declare Him to be your only provider? Jehovah Jireh, your provider, everything I have, it belongs to you. Everything I am comes from you. Yesterday you provided for me. Tomorrow you will provide for me. I do not worship the government as my source. I worship you as my source. I do not worship my job as my source. It is you who provides me the job. I do not worship others as my source, but you. To you I give my bread. To you I give my bread. To you I give of my sustenance because you are the multiplier. You are the one with the cattle on a thousand hills and I will lack for nothing because of you. And I'll worship you not just in word, but I'll worship you with all that I have and with my resources. Can you just visit that altar of incense and begin to offer prayers before the Lord, prayers of adoration, prayers of love, prayers of worship, Whatever it is that's on your heart, this is where He's just asking you, pour it out like incense before me. It's a sweet smelling aroma when you talk to me. Just begin to commune with Him. Open your mouth and begin to talk with Him. And let that worship be an aroma. He loves the fruit of our lips. If you think it about Him, say it about Him. If you think it about Him, say it about Him.
Yahweh, you're beautiful. Yahweh, you are faithful. Yahweh, you are so good. Yahweh, you are redeemer. Yahweh, you are restoring healer. Let it come out of your lips like incense before Him. Say those prayers before Him. And as you pass by the table of showbread and the altar of incense, don't forget to go by the lampstand and ask Him to relight your flame. In worship, there's always an exchange of fire. In worship, there's always an exchange of fire. When a sacrifice is put on the altar, the fire always follows. And Lord, we visit that lampstand full of oil today because your Holy Spirit is our source. And we declare as we engage in worship with you, there's a reignition of your fire within us. Fresh fire today, fresh fire for my house, fresh fire for my family. Lord, it's not just a flickering flame. It's a fire fueled by the oil of the Holy Spirit. Begin to pray for fire. Fresh fire. Jesus, we need your fire. May the fire on my altar never burn out. Jesus, may the fire on my altar never say, help me worship team. May me a altar never burn out. May the fire on my altar never burn out. Make me a house of prayer. May the fire on my altar never burn out. The fire on my altar never burn out. The fire Make this your prayer right now as they sing it, Father. Light a fresh flame in every heart right now. May the fire on my Jesus set us on fire. The fire on my altar never burn out. The fire on my altar never burn out. Jesus. Father, relight fires all over this place. As we get closer to you, we cannot help but be combustible. We cannot help but be flammable. As we get closer to you, Would you just raise your hands all over this place right now if you need that? 
that's who's moving on all of you with your hands lifted right now. He's coming alive in you. And what's so crazy, when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, rabbinical teaching bears out, he would speak in an unknown tongue and they called it atonement language. And it only happened in the holy place, which is why on the day of Pentecost, when fire came from heaven and cloven tongues of fire set on each one of them, they began to speak in atonement language and we call it speaking in tongues. And it's a sign that you have been invited into the Holy of Holies and the fire of God has lit your heart. And I'm here to tell you, there are cloven tongues of fire in this place right now, lighting every flame. Whether you've been filled in the Holy Spirit before and your fire's just flickering or you've never been filled, there's a fresh way of oil and fire coming to every uplifted hand right now. I need some people that will go to the back. Anybody you see with hands lifted, I still see people who don't have anybody praying with them. And right now, I believe fresh fire is falling in this altar. We're almost done. We're almost done. Don't, don't rush the fire. You come help me pray for him. Sun, fresh fire's falling on you. There's fresh fire. Pray right now for fresh fire on every heart. In the name of Jesus, some of you are just being immersed in the fire of the Holy Spirit. See, he baptizes in fire, not water. Fire! Fire! Fresh fire in this place. Fresh fire in this place. Fresh fire. And that's the last thing you would pass by that. Fresh fire and that altar of incense. And then you would go into the Holy of Holies and that Ark of the Covenant was built like the throne room of God. Keep praying for fire. I'm just moving us along so I can get out of the way and let people encounter Him. The Ark of the Covenant was built like the throne room of God. And this is when we can actually come within the radius. And I'm here to tell you, when you come in the radius, there's no prayers of, of Lord, cleanse me, forgive me. That's been done. There's no talking to your neighbor and texting on your cell phone. When you get in that place, you're just lucky to be alive. You're just lucky to be alive. You're just lucky to be in the room because flesh cannot stand in his presence or in his glory and something in you will die called the flesh and your spirit man will come alive in communion. And I'm here to tell you there's lots of creative things we can say and do but it seems like all the angels can get out in the circle is holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty because when you enter the circle, you will lose your wordiness and you will get lost in His glory. So I'm just gonna ask them to take us into some throne room worship. I've taken you through protocol today as a living object lesson. I hope you follow it every time you are given opportunity. But we're gonna end in the throne room today and I don't have a place there. I'm gonna get in the circle too. It's, it's one throne, one person, one focus. And when you're ready, you can go. And when you just want to worship, you can worship. But I just want you to have faith that Jesus rent the veil so that you could go to the throne room. And I just think He deserves all honor, all glory to Him who sits on the throne. Be all 
Some of you just need to move out of your seat. You can move out to 